0: Good morning. It's, um, it's great to be with you on, on this Lord's Day. It's always very nice to come back, back to Grafton, and I, I mean that. You know, Grafton holds a very special place in my heart. You know, this, um, this church has had a huge influence in my life. You know, the pastors here have had a huge influence in my life, so I'm, um, I'm very thankful uh, for this church. Now, as most of you are probably aware, I am now the assistant pastor of Condal Park Bible Church. So we finished up in Lismore on the 9th of June. And we are in the process of uh, preparing and moving to Sydney. And my advice to you is if you want to move house anytime soon, don't do it. Okay? It's, it's, um, it's, it's not fun at all. So um, I, I would like to, to ask if you as a church would continue to pray for us. You know, Emma and myself... Um, covet uh, your prayers but anyway that that's enough about me it's a great privilege to be able to preach this morning Uh, but before we begin uh, let's pray we'll ask for God's help I think that's a good place for us to begin so let's pray father we are gathered here this morning uh, as your people desiring to hear from you that we know that you have ordained the foolishness of preaching to communicate uh, your truth and it is our desire that you speak to us this morning you know, we need to hear from you. It is our, our great need that the Holy Spirit, through the word, ministers to us. Uh, Lord, please help me to proclaim uh, the truth this morning. Lord, may this be a word uh, from you and not the opinions of man. You know, please meet us uh, where we are at on this day. Lord, please, please speak to our hearts this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen this morning, I want to speak to you about uh, boldness and courage, They're very admirable qualities, necessary qualities, but unfortunately, quite rare qualities. Now, when you think of these noble attributes, what first comes to your mind? What personifies boldness and courage to you? Now, perhaps the example that immediately comes to mind is the men and women who have gone to war throughout history, now, particularly those Australian troops who fought for our freedom, those soldiers who were fighter, endured at atrocious conditions, witnessed unthinkable atrocities, laying down their own lives so we can be free. Now, perhaps this is the image that epitomises courage you. Or perhaps your mind goes immediately to the martyrs of the church, the men and the women who have laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel, who were burnt at the stake, who were arrested, imprisoned, flogged because they would not forsake Jesus, to you this is courage personified. Whatever comes to your mind, one thing that is for certain is that we find these qualities very admirable. They are attractive. We we think highly of people who possess these characteristics. And what you and I need to understand is that as Christians, we need to possess these attributes. We need courage. We need boldness, particularly in the times that we live. Because in case you haven't realized, our society has become incredibly ungodly. And quite quickly at that. Our biblical principles that this country were founded upon are under constant attack. The dynamite of immorality and wicked philosophies is blasting away the biblical foundations of our society. We see this in the attacks on marriage, with the acceptance of homosexuality, the, the disgraceful abort- abortion epidemic, the satanic philosophies that are pushed, particularly in the education sector, but this gender-neutral pandemic that is sweeping through our country. Our religious freedoms and liberties are slowly being removed and eradicated. I'm sure you've been following the the Israel-Falau situation. These are the times that you and I live. We have enjoyed great freedom and protection as Christians in Australia, and we should thank God for that. But as our country slides further down the moral slope, now, things are only going to get harder for you and I as Christians. Now, In fact, jail time for preaching Christ is probably a lot closer than we actually realize. Now, it's not my intention to peddle some fear campaign this morning, but I do think I'm being realistic. And Jesus predicts the downfall of society before his return. And I do believe this is very evident around us. And hence this community and our country needs courageous Christians. It needs men and women who will take a stand for Christ no matter the cost. But be willing to confront the gross atrocities that, that plague our society no matter the scorn and ridicule. You know, my friend, Grafton doesn't need followers of Jesus Christ who are crippled with fear and timidity. It doesn't need churches who simply compromise to the trends of society. But rather, it needs churches. It needs men and women who will stand up, who will confront, who will lovingly defend the truth of sacred scripture, who who will share the gospel message no matter what the cost may be. It needs courageous, not compromising Christians. And unfortunately, there is a void of believers who will stand up, who will speak the truth and will do right before God. And my friend, there is a great requirement for bold believers. And we have an example or a model of what that looks like in the text before us. So if you haven't already, can you please open your Bible to Acts chapter 4? Acts chapter 4, it's from here where we'll take our reading, but but before we do this, allow me just to set the context of this particular text. So Peter and John, they had just gone up to the temple and they had met the lame man on the way, A- and as was common, this man had asked for alms, A- And Peter declared those famous words, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ rise up and Walk. And this lame man, through the power of God, was miraculously healed, and he went away praising God. Now, this was a very public healing, and hence it was undeniable. Everyone knew this lame man. And when word spread that this was done in the name of Jesus, this gave the gospel great credence and hence the religious authorities in witnessing what had unfolded decided to arrest and interrogate these men with the goal of halting the message that they were proclaiming so that's the setting for the text let's pick up at verse 13 Uh, the word of god says now now when they saw the boldness of peter and john And perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, And we cannot deny it, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. And for the man was above 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing was shown. Oh, it did not take long for the persecution of the church to commence. Uh, what we have before us is the first recorded instance of the enemies of Christ striving to halt the spread of the gospel. Now, one could sympathize if Peter and John crumbled under this intense interrogation, or humanly speaking, to come before the same council who had a month or two previously condemned Jesus to death, but they had worked relentlessly behind the scenes to ensure that Rome would perform the crucifixion of Jesus. And it was these same men who arrested and interrogated Peter and John. So if they were frightened, if they were intimidated, this would be completely understandable. This council were ruthless and brutal. This was not just some empty threats. But if this council expected these men to fold easily, that impression was quickly eradicated. But we are informed in verse 13 that they marveled. They were struck. They were captivated with the boldness of these men. Peter and John were courageous. They spoke what they believed. And Peter didn't hold back. He he didn't water the message down. He declared that it was in the name of Jesus. And just to avoid any confusion, he says, you know, the Jesus that you crucified is very pointed, very direct. And here, Peter identifies with Jesus. He, He stood with him. And this boldness, it was his boldness that struck these wicked men. Isn't that interesting? It was their courage that had an effect that the Sanhedrin now had a problem on their hands. this healing miracle performed was aiding in the spread of the gospel. It was proof for its truth. And this infuriated these men. It was throwing petrol on the fire of their hatred. But, But what could they do to halt this momentum? They couldn't simply deny the miracle because the evidence was far too clear. You know, the guy who had been healed was standing right there. It's a bit hard to say sorry, it didn't happen. And hence they needed another plan to stop the spread of the gospel. And it was this that they had to decide as they deliberated together. I notice in verse 15, you Now, as per custom, the accused would leave the room. And the council would then communicate amongst themselves and would determine the judgment that they would pass. This is much similar to like a judge in our court system leaving the room to his chamber to decide what sentence he is going to pass. And I do wonder what was said during this deliberation as these men gathered together. There must have been a time of frustration for them you know, we've already killed Jesus. Why why is this movement still going? Or perhaps they were even filled with fear because they knew these men had broken no laws. And they also saw the public support that these men possessed. And hence the Sanhedrin possessed very few safe and legal options to halt the proclamation of Jesus. And hence they decide to employ what is really their only option, And that is the unleashing of one of Satan's most used weapons. That is the employing of threats to produce silence. Basically, it's bullying to keep one quiet. Now, we must understand that the Greek word translated threaten in verse 17 is a very strong word. This is not a soft or empty warning. But rather, it was designed to intimidate to scare into silence. So they issue a complete prohibition outlawing the proclamation of Jesus. A demanding complete silence. And no doubt there would have been consequences if this was not obeyed. But this was their great play. To prohibit the communicating of the gospel and the performing of miracles in Jesus' name. No. So that they tried to stifle this movement. Now, this was Satan's plan from the beginning to silence the church. That to silence Christians and not much has changed, has it? But what would these men do? Would they obey or would they disobey? Notice their answer in verses 19 and 20, which says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right, in the sight of God, to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. But what a courageous response this is. You know, the, the intimidating threat had been made demanding silence, but the response is, sorry, no can do. We, we won't do that because we can't do that. And here they imply that this edict was contrary to the will of God and hence they couldn't obey it. Peter and John are placed into this scenario that involved either obeying the civil authorities or obeying God. And and they boldly pronounce that they would obey God over man. Now this situation presents us with, with a problem. And perhaps you can see it. Now, the Bible tells us that we are to obey our authorities. Romans 13 makes that very clear, as does Peter's epistle. So is Peter contradicting his own teaching? How are we to reconcile this? Well, we need to begin by understanding that God has implemented various authorities. And authority is for our good whether that be in the home, in the church, or in governments. And we as Christians ought to obey our authorities, even if we think the rules are are silly and and impractical. So so that's, that's the general principle. Our God expects you and I to submit and obey our authorities, and we should set the example with this. But there is a very clear and distinct line. If an authority asks you and I to do something that is contrary to God's written word, we are not obliged to obey. In fact, we must disobey, for we must obey God before we obey man. Uh, Acts 5.29 says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey God rather than man. Now, think of some of the cases of this principle unfolded in the Scriptures. There is the midwives in the book of Exodus. Do you remember that story? They would not obey the edict from Pharaoh to kill the little boys. There was also Moses' parents who hid their baby. There was Daniel's three friends who refused to bow before that golden image. And then there is Peter and John before us who refused to be silent. We must understand that God is the ultimate authority. And that is why we are to obey God whenever another authority comes into conflict or contradicts with God's word. And hence, in certain circumstances, it is expected that the Christian disobey the state or other authorities. If the boss tells you to steal, you mustn't do it. If the government prohibits us from disciplining our children, we must disobey. If the the government tries to stop us talking about Jesus and defending biblical truth, we cannot submit to that demand because God is the ultimate authority. And any law or, or rule that is contrary to God's word must be put aside. And this is the courageous stance that Peter and John took. They would not allow these threats to silence them. And what a great turnaround this is for Peter. From the one who pathetically denied his Lord, even when this little girl pressured him, he, he succumbed to that. I, I don't know the man. And, and now here he stands before the Sanhedrin and he is standing up for Jesus, refusing to comply no matter what the potential costs may be. here he stood completely unashamed of Jesus and declared that he would boldly and bravely continue to share the gospel and allow no one or nothing to silence him. And my friend, this is boldness. This is courage. To be willing to speak the truth in every situation, no matter what the cost may be. Peter and John exemplify this before us. And, and it is this that we so desperately need. Men and women who will take a stand for Christ in a very wicked time. Who will not be ashamed of Jesus. Who will not be silenced but rather speak the truth. Now of course we must be kind, gracious and winsome in how we do this. We, we need to show Discernment, which many vocal Christians often don't. Now, notice that Peter and John, that they were very courteous. They were very respectful in how they approached this. So we need to understand that boldness is not brashness. We're not to be rude and angry and, and, and aggressive. We need to be winsome and loving in how we speak the truth. But, my friend, as believers, we cannot be silent. We we cannot be too scared to to take a stand for Jesus. We mustn't hide that light uh, under a bushel. We need to stand up in our various spheres of influence, sharing the gospel, confronting the gross atrocities of our time in in the appropriate way. We cannot allow Satan to silence us because, my friend, that is what he wants. The question is, how can we possess this boldness Courage. Well, I want to very quickly reveal four things from the text that will help you and I take this courageous stand for Christ. So, number one, we must be spirit filled. So, notice in in verse 8, it says, Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. This is a recurring reference throughout the book of Acts. The filling of the spirit bringing great boldness that enabled one to speak the truth. If you read through the book of Acts, you will often see Peter filled with the Spirit or Paul filled with the Spirit, and then there is their bold declaration following. So the idea is the filling of the Spirit enabled them to speak boldly. And this should not surprise us because this is what Jesus promised. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12 says, But when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. So, so the Holy Spirit would give the words to say and the courage to say. So the filling of the Spirit, which comes when the believer walks in obedience and submits to the Word and the Spirit is key to possessing boldness. You and I must yield to the control of the Spirit because this unleashes His power in our lives. Peter yielded to the Spirit and boldness was forthcoming. And if we are not walking in, If we are not filled and controlled by the Spirit, then we will not take a stand for Jesus. We will not possess the courage and the boldness that we so desperately need and is so desperately needed in the times that we live. If we want to stand up for Jesus, we need to be Spirit-filled. Secondly, and this kind of ties in with the first point, we must spend time with Jesus. Notice at the end of verse 13, the council acknowledges that these men had been with Jesus. So this is certainly speaking of the physical reality. They had been and were seen with Jesus, but but it's even more than this. It's interesting that this phrase is included in the same verse that their boldness is acknowledged. And hence this fact that they had been with Jesus means that he influenced them. And that is revealed in how they responded. The Sanhedrin could see Jesus in their reply. Jesus had affected them in such a way that he was coming out in how they reacted. So their time spent with Jesus enabled this courageous stand. You know, it is a fact of life that the more time you spend doing something, studying something, the more you know about something, the more passionate you become about it. Think of your hobbies. Think of sports. The more you know about it, the more time you spend immersed in it, the more passionate you become. And that's the same as anything. Politics, hobbies, your job, and so forth. And this principle is the same with Jesus. The more time we spend with him, the more we know him, the more we are immersed in him, we will become passionate about him. We will stand up for him. We will speak for him. We will possess courage and boldness to stand no matter what the cost may be because Jesus means more than anything else to us. Now, if we want courage and boldness, we must spend time with Jesus. You know, immersing ourselves in him by spending time in his word and in prayer. Thirdly, we need to fear God more than man. But How often it is a fear of what one may say, think or do that cripples our courage. That throws a bucket of water on the fire of our boldness. How often it is a fear of man that silences us. Perhaps you can relate to this because I know I can. But my friend, we need to possess a greater fear of God than we do of man. Because that is key to possessing boldness. To be more concerned about what God thinks will say and do than what man thinks will. Says and does. And this is so obvious in the text that Peter and John feared God. That their allegiance to him was so solid, no threat could shake or break it. Look in verse 20. They declare, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were captivated. They were concerned with what their God wanted, with what their God would think more than what the authorities of the land wanted and would think. And that is so vital to acquiring boldness. Your fear for God being greater than your fear of man. I remember once reading about John Knox, and it was said of him that he feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? because this is key to possessing boldness. And the fourth key is that we need to ask God for it. I want to draw your attention down to verse 29. Verse 29, which says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, as I thought about this, if you were in this situation of facing persecution from the authorities, what would have you asked for? What would have your prayer to God looked like? I think I would have asked for the persecution to be removed. Or asked the Lord to deal with these men who are making these threats. Lord, rain fire and brimstone down on them. They're making my life really, really difficult. But, But notice what these believers prayed for. They prayed for boldness. That they prayed for more boldness. That they didn't ask the Lord to, to remove these difficulties, but to give them courage in the face of the difficulties. And, and if we want courage, we need to ask God for it. Well, I wonder how often we have not, because we ask not. You, you know that biblical principle. When was the last time that that you asked the Lord for courage? and for boldness, and for the opportunity to exercise it, You know, this needs to be our daily prayer, one that we pray for ourselves, one that we pray with our children, one that we pray for one another. So my friend, ask the Lord, and He will grant it to you. You know, we are living in a time when things could get very difficult for Christians very quickly. Our society is sliding down the moral slope at a rapid rate of knots our religious freedoms and liberties could be restricted at any time that there are so many people around us who hold to ungodly philosophies and standards and in times like this that this community and our country needs bold believers not silent saints. And we need to stand up for jesus Speak the truth, even when it completely contradicts the common opinions of the time. Share the gospel. Be bold witnesses. Don't be scared of not knowing what to say, because remember, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and give you the words in the given scenario. You know, you may think, you know, Pastor, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible to to share the gospel and and, and to speak on these terrible things that are peddled in our society. But notice that Peter and John were both uneducated. The council marveled at this in verse 13. These men were not educated in the Jewish law from, from the chief schools. My friend, you don't have to be super intelligent. You don't have to be the most gifted. God can and will use any individual. Our job, according to verse 20, is to speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know the gospel, speak that. may we have the courage to do this because this is what our God expects from us. Because speaking up and speaking out is a part of demonstrating our love for God and our love for our neighbours. And may we be bold in standing up for what is right and speaking the truth at school. That's often hard. At university, that's that's even harder. Or, Or in the social setting. May those around us know that we follow Jesus Christ, that we stand on scriptural truth, that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And that it is to govern and to dictate how we live, what we accept, what is right and wrong. May you and I be infused with this courage to stand up for Christ no matter the cost. And let me tell you, it may end up costing you dearly. Rejection from family and friends. Loss of approval or influence. It may hinder employment opportunities and chances of promotion. Because Jesus warned us about this, didn't he? It's not easy to follow him. It will come at a cost. But we need to take a stand. Because a a scared and timid believer will have no effect. A compromising Christian that strives to harmonize the scripture with wicked worldly philosophies will just become a joke. Because notice in the text, what Did these wicked men marvel at in verse 13? It was their boldness. They didn't agree, but they marveled. It had an effect. My friend, courageous Christians will influence the community and the country, but the cowardly Christian will not. So what will it be for you? Are you the bold believer or or the silent saint? how are you regarded at work? Do your work colleagues know that you follow Jesus Christ? Do do you stand up for Him? Do you take the opportunities that are present? What about school? What what about university? Do your friends know about your love for Christ? Do they know that that you go to church? Do you refuse to participate in, in the wicked practices that so many students indulge in? What about the people you play sport with? Do you have the courage to share the Bible's view on marriage and sexuality when they discuss their immoral lifestyle? In whatever sphere it may be, are you known as one who follows and stands up for Jesus Christ? Does that describe you? Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount that you and I are salt and light. What we must understand is this is what we are, okay? This, this is our function. We are salt. But Jesus tells us that if you and I lose our saltiness, if we lose our savor, we are good for nothing. Strong words, but they are the words of Jesus. And I put it to you that if we are shy, scared, and spineless, then we have lost our saltiness. And we are failing to shine as a light and we have become good for nothing. Now may you and I, with God's help, because we need His help. We need His grace. And may we be salt and light. And may we stand up for Jesus Christ no matter the cost. May we be filled with courage and boldness. May we confess all fear fear timidity and compromise that may be present in our hearts this morning and ask the Lord to infuse us with holy boldness. Ask our God to help us take a stand for Jesus and may everybody in our sphere of influence know where we stand. May we be bold in supporting others who have a greater sphere of influence than we do. And may we be vocal and use legal means to object to ungodly practices. And may we pray and support those organisations who do great work in preserving biblical truth and morals. But most importantly, may you and I be individuals. You know, be bold in all that we do and say and stand up for Jesus. To defend the truth and share the gospel. Because God uses courageous Christians. And may you and I be a vessel that he can use. May we, by his grace, be bold and stand up no matter what it may cost. Because that is our reasonable service for Jesus Christ, is it not? After everything that he has done for us, surely this is the least that we can do. Christians, stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldier of the cross. Amen. Let's pray. No, Father, please forgive us you know, for when we are silent and cowardly. I know I am like this at times, and I am sorry for that. No, Father, we ask that you would infuse us with a holy boldness and courage. Help, help us to share the gospel, to defend the truth, to, to stand with and for Jesus no matter the cost. No, Father, please grant to us opportunities this week to speak a word for Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Thank you.